Welcome to the Strictly Opinionated Podcast. My name is Colin. I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking about the XFL, mainly the first two games that happened on Saturday. And I have a guest on with me today. So uh, let's get it started. Here we go. All right. Today I have a guest on with me. He is a diehard Packer fan, strong Laker fan, and a fan of sports in general. His name is Tanner Schuth. Tanner, thank you for coming on. What's going on? Oh, you know, living the dream, right? So uh, today, I was thinking we're going to talk about the first two XFL football games. Mainly, we're going to discuss our reactions. Some highlights, some top performers, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll give you our opinion because, you know, that's the whole point of the show. All right. First off, what's your overall reaction, Tanner, from our first two games that we saw? Is is there any overarching theme that you see that you want to bring up right away? First thing I thought was that I was actually, I was surprised by the attendance. When they uh, first kicked off the games and they were showing the stands, um, right off the bat, it looks like the XFL is going to be around for a while. There's a lot of interest uh, in these games. So starting week one, strong attendance. And I think that the first day went really, really well. Couldn't have gone better than what it did um, in terms of overall play style. It was exciting. There were a couple of close games, a couple of blowouts. Starting to get an idea of um, what some of these guys out there can do. So I think it was a really great kickoff day for the XFL and I think that it's going to be a thing that's going to be around for a while yeah I'd have to say that I agree with that Um, the stadiums that they have they're anywhere from 20,000 to over 60,000 people that can fit into these stadiums and yesterday we were able to see um, the DC Defender Stadium which is a major league soccer stadium and that was fairly full and then we were able to see the University of Houston's field down there in Texas and it was the bottom of the ball was essentially packed. And honestly, I think that they're trying to keep the ticket sales to those main bottom portions. And they're not trying to let people, you know, pick their tickets way up high because it's cheap and maybe move down. They're trying to assign those seats, I think. And honestly, I think that it makes the game look better. It makes the product look better. And it is cool too, just to see how, you know, there's been many different attempts at creating a spring football league. Uh, so it's really cool to see that this is actually something that looks like it's going to be successful because this is, you know, something that people have wanted for years. And uh, just to see that, you know, there was a lot of money invested into it. There was a lot of time invested into it. The right people are running it. And, you know, they have some big names in the league itself to create that attention. So this is something that people have wanted for a while. Let's start getting into the nitty gritty here. Let's talk about this first game. We had the Seattle Dragons versus the DC Defenders. They were playing in DC at that major league soccer stadium, like I had said. Um, Overall, I thought that the game was great early. It was close. It was clear that both teams came in prepared for one another. And I personally thought that it was a uh, great overall game through two quarters. However, going into the second half, I started to get a little unimpressed Early on, there was a block punt return for a touchdown. They had a trick play, DC did, and then some very impressive other plays throughout the game. 
They had a 54-yard field goal, longest in XFL history in the first game. Go figure. And then uh, the defensive back for Washington, D.C., Sylvie, he had a 69-yard interception return for a touchdown. Essentially, a bulk of literally every highlight on what I have seen is they took over the game, they were dominant, they made little mistakes, and that's the kind of football that I want to see, and it looks like Seattle has some work to do. It definitely does, and, you know, for instance, like that blocked punt, uh, it just, like, he didn't even really seem to get blocked all that much. Like, he was he was there. I almost thought he could have just taken the ball right out of the punter's hands before he even dropped it. So there was definitely some uh, some things that need to be cleaned up there if the Dragons plan to have a chance. As a whole, the D.C. team did well overall. My favorite performers slash the top performers that came from this game, Cardale Jones, he threw for over 290 yards. He had two touchdowns, no picks. And from my perspective, what I could see is he's been working on his escapability. He's doing a great job of keeping the plays alive, keeping his eyes downfield, and he's making few mistakes. There was one early on that I saw a mishandle of a mesh point on a read option, it looked like, and the ball came out. But other than that, I saw good things from Cardell Jones. Anything that you saw from Cardell? I think one of the things that I saw across the league, not just from him, but from a couple of different, you know, throwers of the old football, uh, just some accuracy stuff. So he went 16 for 26 yesterday. It's okay. I was just looking for, you know, a little bit more uh, clean stat line there, a little higher completion percentage. But I think it's interesting that, you know, he didn't make the mistake that could have potentially cost the game posting a 125.6 rating and two touchdowns with no turnovers. So that's really the key to the game there. As long as you're not turning over the ball, you're going to have a chance. And in comparison to the Dragons uh, quarterback, Brandon Silvers, who threw two interceptions with three touchdowns, those two interceptions are what ultimately killed him. Yeah, I'd say that Brandon Silvers, overall, throughout the game, early on, he looked fine. He looked okay. They were making the game close. But as the game progressed, you noticed some decision-making that wasn't on par and a little bit unpolished in um, understanding the protection it looked like to me. Yeah. And you know, it's such an integral part of the game too, because when you're struggling to make the plays that are necessary and when you're making bad decisions, you can't combine that with not being able to see where the pressures come from and not getting the right protections adjusted. Because if you can't, you know, if you're struggling to make the right decisions in a clean pocket. Well, now if you can't see what's coming from the defense ahead of time, it's not a good combo there. Right. Overall, uh, from the both receiving cores, Seattle, let's talk about them first. Let's, let's get this out of the way. Austin Prohl, he was the target. He had five of 10 on his targets for receptions, 88 yards, two touchdowns. He has, it looks like he has issues with drops, and um, but clearly he's the favorite target. Now, in comparison, Tanner, if you want to talk about D.C., what would we see there? So with D.C., it looks like we had, um, you know, kind of a big play guy in Rashad Ross, two for 52 and a touchdown. And then Eli Rogers looked pretty consistent yesterday, catching six for 73. So 
Um, it looks like you've got kind of a mix of weapons on the DC receiving core with some consistency from Rogers, six at 73, and then Ross with that big play capability, uh, 52 yards, two receptions, and a touchdown. Yeah, overall, I think that the receiving cores in comparison, DC is clearly better, more efficient. And personally, I've watched Rashad Ross last season in the Alliance of American Football, and I've seen him in this first game. And he's still the same guy. He is fast and he is efficient. And that's what they're looking for in this league. You have to prove yourself with the efficiency. And that's, you know, a guy like that, definitely you don't have to be somebody who's going to go out there and catch seven or 10 balls a game. If you can make an impact with the two that you get, there's always going to be a spot for you in any league. Yeah. And at least speaking from my perspective, I've been a Jets fan for a long time and we have Robbie Anderson hopefully continuing, but that's a separate conversation entirely. Yeah, well, we'll see he's about a, that there. <laughs> he's a fast guy, and the league, the NFL, needs fast guys, and Rashad Ross, even though he's getting up there in age, at least in terms of football, he's still got the speed to burn somebody on any given play. So let's move on a little bit here to uh, some coaching strategy that we noticed early on. In my opinion... They straight up did not do what I thought they were going to do in this game. There was a lot of going for one, and there wasn't a whole lot. They went for one on every after-touchdown conversion attempt, except for once. And the only team of the two that did it was DC, because they had the control of the game, essentially, for most of it. Honestly, I think that this conversion system, one, two, or three points is essentially a game changer. And if you have a play caller or a play designer that can be efficient in drawing this kind of stuff up, start moving it back. Take that two-point chance. Take that three-point chance early. We've seen aggressive coaches in the NFL do these kinds of things. They're going for two on a more regular basis. They're going for it on fourth down on a more regular basis. Essentially, this league's trying to force these coaches that may some of them have a lot of experience and some of them have very little experience as um, a head coach, but they're trying to force their hand in to be more aggressive, let your plays help your players in being aggressive and just make it work. Essentially. I did notice that Tyree Jackson had a few packages for DC and I was thoroughly unimpressed with what I saw there. Poor execution by the overall team. Anything that you saw Tanner with the coaching strategy and what's your opinion on it? Well, I think you nailed it there. It's just it was less aggressive than what I thought it would be in terms of the conversion attempts. With all of them being the one point conversions, except for that one that you mentioned as the two point attempt, um, I thought it would be more of you know you can kind of force the other team's hand if you go for three and you get it. Um, you know they have to go for three now, otherwise if you just you know score another touchdown, get another three, um, that can be a really big game changer to go up eighteen points you know, from ultimately two scores and two conversion attempts. And I think that over the course of the last season or two, you can definitely see that, you know, if you look at like the NFL, for instance, how aggressive coaching is becoming, going for it so much more on fourth down, Andy Reid going for it twice in the Super Bowl on fourth down and converting both attempts. I just thought that, you know, with this league trying to make a statement, trying to, be a you know the exciting league right after the Super Bowl. Uh, I thought there would be more attempts at the two or three point conversions, 
I was surprised that there wasn't a single attempt at the three-point conversion, to be honest with you. But, you know, at the same time, you got to remember, uh, this isn't Madden. And, you know, everybody goes for two in Madden all the time. Um, but these guys are trying to show what they can do, you know, with their good coaching decisions. And the players on the field are trying to show what they can do because uh, everybody's in this together trying to show that they still have what it takes to coach at a high level or play at a high level. So I think there's a little bit of conservatism there too, just trying to make sure that they win the game. Right. And overall, the aggressiveness of this league is really going to be determined uh, across all of their games. So we know so far that these coaches are just testing the waters. And if they don't start pushing it a little more, I think that we could go flat at a certain point in this season and it may not turn out the way we want it. Of course, we want to see this league succeed, but if there's no aggression in I deserve to win this game from a coaching staff, then a league's going to fall flat. That's that's what it is. Right, because I think people want to see, you know, people want to see real football, but I don't think people want to see real football that's the same as NFL football. I think people want something a little different. You know, people are not happy right now with the direction the NFL is going, you know, being so ticky-tacky and so conservative in a lot of different ways. There's only a couple of teams out there who were being aggressive, like we were talking about before. So I think, you know, fans want to see something different. And I think fans were looking forward to having those different conversion attempts. And, you know, if they don't start going for those twos and threes more consistently, I think it's, you know, maybe too similar to what the NFL would be aside from, of course, the kickoff. Right. All right. So I think we've, Clearly stated, first game overall, it was great for a first half, and um, eventually it turned into a slaughter by DC. They capitalized on some some Seattle mistakes, and that's all it took. And I feel like we've given a great overall uh, message as to how we feel about our after seeing this first game. So what I want to do is I want to move into the second game from Saturday. It was the LA Wildcats versus the uh, Houston Roughnecks. You're still getting used to these names. They're brand new. So LA Wildcats versus the Houston Roughnecks. Overall, I thought it was a great performance. Let's get right into the highlights. Charles Kanov for LA early. He looked fine. He took in the opening possession for a rushing touchdown. They were inside the 10-yard line. He took it in. That's what it was. However, at a certain point in this game, Houston, mainly Philip P.J. Walker, took over the game he escaped pressure early on for um, one of his touchdown throws he threw a 45 yard dart to the left corner of the end zone and it was pretty and then soon after that we entered the fourth quarter after houston had taken control of this game la put in their second string quarterback originally the depth chart supposed to be josh johnson charles knoff and then um, mcclendon as the third quarterback Kanoff started the game due to Josh Johnson's injury, and um, clearly they felt he wasn't getting the job done. They moved to McClendon. On his second pass, he was picked off after entering the fourth, and uh, that was picked off by Dietrich Nichols, and after that, it was basically all downhill. L.A. started shuffling the quarterbacks back and forth, trying to make something work, and it just didn't happen. Overall, the main thing that I got from this game was P.J. Walker is going to be a star. He looks like a beast. I mean, he's he's got a cannon on his arm, and there were so many throws that were impressive 
that he made, throws over the middle, throws to the corner of the end zone, and then just how elusive he was. And, you know, a lot of guys will look to be elusive, get out of the pocket and run with the ball. For instance, on one play, he avoided a sack. He rolled out to his left, looked like he was going to run, flicked his wrist, and he dropped it just before the safety over the linebacker uh, towards the sideline so his guy could get the ball. And, you know, it was really impressive. He could have taken the ball, and he probably could have gained 10 yards. But instead, he decided, you know what, I'm going to throw it over here. I'm going to gain 20. And it was a throw that was right where it needed to be. And if it wasn't, there's a good chance that it was going the other way and possibly all the way back for six just based on, you know, where everybody was on that particular play. So it was really cool to see. And I'm truthfully not familiar with, you know, where he went to school or how he got to the league, what his actual story is. Because there's definitely a lot of big-name quarterbacks that are in this league. He wasn't one of them until yesterday. But I think that going forward, people are going to be looking at what he did yesterday and the clear talent that he has and just watching him. He could definitely be the star of this league. Yeah, it looked like that to me. Just a few notes on that. I'll let you know. He's listed at only five foot eleven. He attended Troy. And he leads Troy in the most wins by a quarterback in their school history. Overall, smaller school guy, short stature. It's understandable why he was overlooked at a certain point. But during his college career, he was just as aggressive. Um, the head coach of the Houston team coached against P.J. Walker when he was at college and knew what he had if he had taken him. And that's just what they did. They got him in. And um, honestly, to me, he is electric. He has amazing escape ability and his awareness to keep his eyes up constantly, even when he's escaping. He's always looking to throw the ball. That's the kind of quarterback that we're looking for in the NFL, a quarterback that can escape the pocket and keep his eyes up and isn't run first focused. If they can do it, great. And he can do it. Honestly, if he can be consistent in this league, and if he can impress enough NFL coaches, he could be Lamar Jackson light. That's the way we're heading the NFL, and that's what I see. Definitely. So, you know, Lamar Jackson is kind of blazing a path in his own right for some of these other guys that maybe they wouldn't have gotten a chance before um, Lamar Jackson did what he did. But now that Lamar Jackson, you know, has proven that there are offenses that will work for his style of play, that you can combine a running quarterback with a throwing quarterback and be, uh, you know, the highest scoring offense in the league, win the MVP, uh, and accomplish a lot. There's going to be more guys like Philip Walker that have opportunities. So if Philip Walker continues to play like he did yesterday, a couple of things to clean up, of course, you know, first game of the season. Uh, but if he continues to play like he did yesterday and improve, he'll definitely have opportunities. Yeah, I think he's going to be great. Let's talk about a few other things, a few other performers mainly that we noticed during this game. Personally, I noticed Sammy Coates as a big name. He was highly touted going into this because he was a third-round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He caught two of nine targets for only 26 yards. He did make a great special teams tackle late in the game, got the crowd excited. But for a guy that was a third-round pick in the NFL and a guy that has the size, the speed, and he's the typical wide receiver for the NFL, this is not impressive to me. 
Now, would you say two of nine, Colin, would you say that was more on him or more on the quarterback? What would your uh, opinion on that be? Honestly, what I saw from it was he was getting the ball in his hands and they were straight up drops. Honestly, I think of those nine targets, I want to say probably about three of them were straight up drops. And he talked to a reporter on the sideline and had mentioned something along the lines of, I'm not used to getting hit. It's been a while for him to get hit, and I understand that. So if he can turn it around and if he's okay with, you know, hey, this is how life is. These guys are trying to make it too, and clearly I look better than them to every NFL coach, but he has to prove himself. And if he can't hold onto a ball through contact, there's no way he's going to make it back. Yeah, no chance at all. And, you know, it's quite a drop to go from third round pick to not being able to catch a ball in the XFL, but he's got that opportunity to try and rebound now, make it back to the league and see what he can do. Right. So on a positive note, though, let's switch over to L.A. L.A.'s game early on, it was fine. But Houston, P.J. Walker, they took over. The highlight of L.A., to me, is going to be Nelson Spruce. He played in the Alliance of American Football last year. He is reliable, and he proved that just again in his first game in the XFL. Caught 11 of 15 targets, 103 uh, receiving yards, and he is the first XFL wide receiver with over 100 yards receiving. Potentially the most uh, reliable wide receiver in the XFL this year. Consistency with the hands is ridiculous. I saw a ball get batted early in that game. As it got batted, it flew towards him. He has he had the ball skills and the eyes to track that down as he's falling backwards and catch it with his left hand. That's pretty impressive for a guy that is being overlooked by the NFL. Definitely, and um, you know, to perform like that on the opening night, 11 out of 15 targets he caught, that's definitely going to get some eyes on him. He's going to get a little bit more coverage on him probably going forward in some of the games, and scouts that are at these games are going to be watching him more often. Now, with 11 targets, 103 yards, um, I'd be curious to see if he can be more explosive. If, you know, with 11 targets, could he get up to 115 or excuse me, 150, you know, in that area. Uh, 11 on 103 definitely is something to be impressed by. Comes across as a little bit of a uh, possession receiver, sometimes to me, I guess. So I'd be curious, you know, with 15 targets, 11 receptions, I'd like to see, you know, 130 yards maybe instead of 103. But that would be something that I would imagine they'll work into more as the season goes on as they open up the playbook in subsequent games, I'm sure that he'll have his opportunities to have some bigger plays. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Um, He's mostly a slot guy at this point, but he's got to show that he can move the ball down the field and get those yards after catch. Right now, I want to move on to one of the guys that signed most recently with the XFL. He has a great story. However, I haven't paid that much attention to it because he's been out of football for so long. His name's Sean Oakman. He was a beast at Baylor. He plays D-line. And essentially, his main job is to be crazy on that D-line. He is an athletic freak, whether he's been working out or not. He managed to get a sack, two quarterback hits, and a tackle for loss. He was creating havoc the whole game. He may not have shown out that much yet, but he's still getting used to this system. Tanner, any notes on Oakman at all? Um, as soon as you say Oakman, I just like, 
I immediately think of that picture that he took when he was with Baylor that made him look like a transformer. The guy is just an animal. He's got a lot of potential. And, you know, the XFL is a great, great starting ground for him to be able to show that. But the guy, he's just a massive human being, and he can definitely wreak some havoc and needs to make the most of his opportunities because there is uh, a shortage of, you know, really great pass rushers in the league right now. And as the 49ers uh, proved, it's definitely something that you have to have. Uh, They made the 49ers that being, uh, they made a lot of uh, quarterbacks look pretty silly, including my own Aaron Rodgers. They did uh, a number on him twice this year. They just absolutely crushed the Packers. And that defensive line was the main reason why, really. And it just goes to show how important and what kind of opportunity that this guy has. Humans are not made like this guy is. Humans just aren't constructed the way that this human being is. So he has a huge opportunity here if he can make the most of it. Right. I'd have to agree with you. And being that he got taken out of football for what I heard was a terrible reason that he clearly didn't do. Uh, So I want to move on to the coaching strategy for the second game real quick. I saw some mismanagement of time at the end of the first half by LA. They were doing (laughs) a great job, but they were out of timeouts. Penalty happened for a delay of game. 10-second runoff. They had one second. The ball needed to be snapped on the whistle because the clock was going to start. The long snapper didn't snap the ball. Now, if, if it was me and I was the head coach of a team who clearly understands all three phases of the game, I probably would have told everybody, hey, we got to go right away. Now, it looked like the ref had told both the holder and the kicker you got to snap the ball right away or it's the end of the half. Why would you forget about the long snapper? He's the guy that starts with the ball. That makes zero sense to me. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's embarrassing. Like he's the guy that starts the play. If the guy that starts the play doesn't know what's going on, what's he going to do? What he always does. That is just asinine to me. Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. It would have allowed them a stronger chance at the end of the game to come back. Maybe play calls would have been different, clearly, had they had a different situation where at a certain point they were only down by nine if they had made that field goal instead of being down by 12. It's a one-score game. It's the XFL. You have an opportunity for nine pl- nine points if you can get into that end zone for a touchdown. It's ridiculous to me. It's unexcusable, really. And, you know, coming from... Uh, somebody who used to play a little bit of center back in the day, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's so important that everybody has to be on the same page and everybody has to know exactly what's going on. Um, I think I was responsible for, I think only one, uh, but, you know, false start everyone but the center because I didn't snap the ball when everybody else moved because they knew the count and I forgot it. And so this is kind of one of those things where, Everybody was aware of what needed to happen, but the center and if the center's oh, and if the center's not aware of what needs to happen, just embarrassing things will happen. And you know, does that go on the center? Does that go on the coach? I think it's a little bit of everybody because everybody's got to make sure that everybody's on the same page. You know, if you're the center and the holder, I imagine you talk before the snap because you two have to know what's going on. So I can't imagine that the center and the holder didn't you know have a quick chat before the play either but that's just it's not a good look for anybody involved in that and you're right 
having that three-point conversion attempt, that is the exact situation it's made for, so that when you're down 12, you can kick a field goal, and now it's a one-score game. And it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see that in play because who knows, like you said, we might have gotten to see a three-point conversion had they converted that field goal and been down by just nine, but we'll never know. Maybe someday we'll get to see one. Yeah, we still are going to have another nine weeks of a regular season, and then we're going to have two weeks of playoffs. So, honestly, it's bound to happen at some point from somebody. One interesting thing about the coaching here, funky rule, if you line up for that one, two, or three-point conversion and there's a defensive penalty, the offense gets to try again from the one-yard line. It, uh, it doesn't matter where it was. So if you were at the 10-yard line, you were doing a three-point conversion, you were able to draw the other team off, you get the ball at the one, and you get to go for three. That is a game-changer. Yeah, it is. I actually didn't know that. So that is really crazy to know because if you think of somebody who's got a cadence like Aaron Rodgers, who is well known for getting people to jump off sides and the infamous free play that everybody hates when he does it. That's a big deal right there because now, you know, if you're facing a quarterback who's really good with the cadence, you're going to be a little bit slower off the ball because you know that if you do go off sides, they get it at the one instead of the 10, you're going to be slower off the ball, just making sure that you're not going to overreact and create a defensive penalty like a neutral zone or encroachment. Right. So there is a second part to this rule that's pretty interesting too. If there are two consecutive penalties by the defense, they forfeit the conversion automatically. The other team gets the points right away. Honestly, I feel like that moves the game along, and I'm perfectly happy with that. If you mess up twice in a row, you probably don't deserve to be there. Let's be honest. Yeah, you you need to get out. You need to get out. That That comes down to coaching. That comes down to discipline. If you cannot discipline your players, hey, if you do it once, Shame on you. If you do it twice, shame on me. You got to go sit down, guy. It, it's It'll move the game on faster. I appreciate that, and it'll make it just a lot better, in my opinion. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep the game flow going. Let's get points on the board, and let's get to the action that people actually want to see. And that's one thing the XFL has designed really well um, with the whole system that they have is making sure that play keeps going, not a lot of commercial breaks, not a lot of things happening that take away from the exciting parts of the game. Uh, across the board from kickoffs to just general play. Right. All right. So we've covered the first two games of the XFL thus far. Honestly, I think we're going to have to cut this episode at this point. Tanner, I'd love to thank you for uh, coming on and giving your opinions. And that's what this thing's all about is uh, coming in with your knowledge and everything and laying it out there, letting people know, hey, this is what I think. And honestly, I'm probably right. And uh, I just want to thank you for coming on. Potentially, we'll have you on to review uh, games three and four of the first weekend and talk some NFL news. And uh, I'd really appreciate you coming back. All right. You can count on it. All right. Thank you. That's going to be it for us. And uh, I really hope that you enjoyed this show. And uh, if you did, go ahead and like it. We'll keep giving you our opinions. That's it. I'm out.